0: Let's see. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you. um, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 10, which is part of our text for the morning, Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to begin, I'll begin in verse 1. I'm going to go down to verse 9, I believe. Now, after this, uh, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest uh, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a really startling phrase. Carry no no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking uh, what they give you for a laborer is worthy of his wages. Uh, Do not keep moving from house to house, but whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick, say to those, The kingdom of God is near you. Lord, I ask you that you would grant us a grace to hear and receive uh, your word to our hearts individually and corporately. Lord, we trust you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. The title that I've given the message this morning is um, A Kingdom of Peace. You have heard me give this phrase. Now, in the... Greek translation, the, the, the Greek word for peace is eirene, which is a greeting that would be extended back and forth, but it really finds its roots for God's people in the Hebrew word of shalom, which is not the absence of conflict, but rather the presence of wholeness. And that is the word that I believe Jesus, when he, when he talks about being, you know, that we proclaim peace. He's direct references to people who understand it in that context. Wholeness, shalom, everything that is broken being put back together and nothing lacking and nothing wanting. That's a powerful proclamation. Uh, Jerusalem is the city of peace. Jesus is our prince of peace. Now think about it in that context, nothing lacking, nothing wanting, all the broken pieces put together. Peace. So Jesus sends out his friends and he says, I want you to proclaim peace. Now, the title I've given the message is A Kingdom of Peace, or that we're to be those who are uh, proclaimers of peace. When Denise was in, uh, uh, where where did we go to college? Denise, a Bible college. (laughs) Anyway, it's been so long. Anyway, when we were in in school, she was a part of a singing group called Proclaimers of Peace. You know, it's like a, a, a word. That has meaning, but it's very relevant today because as I think about it, that would be the question that we might ask ourselves is like, where is it? And the the truth is, you know, we, we have had a barrage of things that don't feel very peaceful, if we're honest. And actually, if I'm honest, you know, a barrage of things that feel very uncomfortable. I have not just people I've heard about, but people very close to me in my life who are going through turbulent times in their lives, financial, upheaval. I look at the world around me. It's an upheaval. Uh, You know, things that we're reading about in the news, whether it's rulings that are being made, whether it's basic things like, oh, is there going to be enough now we're talking about is there going to be enough food supply? And I, I just want to proclaim this over us in the name of Jesus. Not flippantly. But can I remind us? You know, the psalmist said I was young and I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You know, we we need to we need to do our best where we are, but also rest in the in the place that we believe that there is one who provides for us, and it's not us. It really does confront some stuff in us when we hear these reports that are, being coming, that are coming out. Now, even if I come down to this, and, and here's the thing, here's what happens to us, especially when we hear about it, is that we, can, we tend to kind of fall, we can fall into this sort of response category where we're looking at problems or policies and we think about, well, if that system is changed or that law is shifted, that will fix that. And that's the way that we talk about it. If the war would end in the Ukraine, then the, all of these other things wouldn't be impacted. Or if, when, we can remove all these uncertainties. And then I'm on my weekly phone call with my siblings and my brother, my oldest brother, who stays in touch with many of my cousins, of course, my father, most of his siblings immigrated to Canada, so the majority of my cousins are in Canada. And he shared the news that my first cousin, Margaret, who's, she and her husband buried their son in law a year and a half ago, to brain, it was, I want to say brain cancer, but it was a form of cancer. She's a nurse. He's a licensed uh, practical nurse. They both retired in this last year, sold their house in Ottawa, bought a house, I believe, in Windsor with the intent of being able to move their daughter and, I believe, four kids uh, in with them so they could help their daughter. They're in the process of trying to get that home ready. Her husband, Gus, just found out this week he has an inoperable brain tumor, It was just, it was like, man. Now, as I share that, by the way, if you would keep Gus in your prayers, I would deeply appreciate that. Uh, I'd have to sit and think about his last name, Gus and Margaret. Margaret uh, used to be a Brammer. It, it'll take me a second. They're cousins. It's a Dutch name, but anyway, Gus is his name. Um, so many of these things. Now, I, what I'm about to share with you right now, I don't want to share flippantly, but it's something I read earlier in the week. I was doing so, just some, some of my own reading and I was reading from a, a, a an author who talked about one of his friends who had gotten ill and died and they would prayed for her and she, and, and they were going through this difficult time. By the way, I want to continue to keep uh, Je- uh, Jenny's sister in, in prayer as well. Um, Sheila, right? Yeah. Um, And this author made this statement. He said, news of her demise is greatly exaggerated. Now, I know that, you know, that's a phrase that was used of somebody who talked about that they read their own obituary. But I want to proclaim a couple things over us this morning in the midst of hearing a call to peace and when we're in the midst of chaos, let me proclaim something over us. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, 1 Corinthians, uh, what is it, uh, chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, God, re- or maybe 2 Corinthians 5, uh, God's reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. He overcame evil with good and he stands as the ultimate reality of the world in the midst of all these other realities that stare us in the face. Can I just again proclaim that over us? We get enough bad news that we begin to believe that it gets the final word. Can I just proclaim this in the name of Jesus? That news doesn't get the final word. Even cancer and death doesn't get the final word. Thanks be to God, He's overcome. So, the ultimate reality of our world was revealed in the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And that is the gospel that we believe is presently at work. That's the peace that we're proclaiming. And we're invited to join in. Interesting intro to a passage where it looks like Jesus is talking about the latest, you know, outreach. Like, this is how Jesus did outreach. Interesting. Um, when I say the word outreach, many times there's like shivers that go up and down my spine because I think of all the ways that I've done that in the past that I didn't like. Okay. I want us to begin with this place of the proclamation because I'm not just giving a pep talk, but I want to remind us that Jesus, when he sends out the 70, the 12 and then the 70, he did this in the shadow of the most influential, arguably one of the most influential empires of human history and and all kinds of bad news that was coming in from all different directions Jesus was not overwhelmed by the power system of that day, or afraid that God's kingdom would not would be relegated as irrelevant in the shadow of all of those other systems. He sent them out, the 12, later the 70, here in Luke, 20, Luke 10, in a remarkably simple way that was not dependent. On the power system of the day. In fact, it's remarkably vulnerable. In the face of this empire called Rome, Jesus said, You go proclaim another kingdom. And by the way, can I just make this sidebar note, bunny trail that we don't have time to go on, but let me make this clear. It, that statement is overtly political. The gospel is overtly political. Meaning this, Jesus wasn't suggesting that somehow we live in, the harmony, in harmony with an empire, an evil empire, and, yay, my sins are forgiven. He said, actually, we're living with a new king, and we're believing that those principles being lived out in our life revealed that kingdom. It's overtly political. You care for the poor. You, you reach out to the imprisoned. You, you care for those who have little. You lay down your life for one another. Here is his strategy. See, the strategies I grew up with, I date Denise and I again, but, you know, in our first year of marriage, we're out knocking on doors, passing out tracks. I've been a part of all kinds of different outreaches through the years, guys, some that have gathered hundreds, thousands of people together, you know, to proclaim the gospel. And yet, as I look at Jesus, he never did any of those things. He just, he sends them out and he said, "Eh, don't take stuff. You're going out as sheep among wolves and here's what you do. You proclaim peace. You heal the sick. You proclaim there's another kingdom at work. None of that seems to line up with my modern ideas that I was taught about outreach. Um, so I have to sit and think. Okay, Jesus, you, you, yeah, maybe he just needed a really good marketing, you know, campaign, promotion, or whatever, you know, marketing campaigner to work with him. But yet Jesus starts out by saying the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Now, again, I want us to remember that Jesus made that proclamation in, in the midst of an entire religious system of training and educating men and women. There are all kinds of rabbis and groups of disciples that were following those rabbis all over Israel. So there was a Bible college system at work. And yet Jesus sends these laborers out and says, uh, "I want you to go." And what, what? Here's here's the problem: the the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Wait a minute, Jesus. What about all those groups of di- disciples? No, actually, what 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 we need are those that that look and act like me. So. I could even, I mean, I would even go so far as to say that if I begin to think about that, the religious system of that day that was in operation, the world had already seen and heard a lot from that religious community. That's not unlike what often comes from a religious community of our day, the blaming, the judging, the arguing, the shaming, all of that. It existed in perfect order when Jesus is walking the earth, but Jesus Jesus says, the laborers. What is a laborer then? A laborer is one who is living and responding in this kingdom called a kingdom of peace. And Jesus said, I'm the prince of that peace, so you're looking like me. So the world needs laborers, beloved, who have encountered peace and are proclaiming it. Laborers who are not really good multi-level marketers. Have you heard about the great deal at Sam's today? Am I the only person who's ever had to try not make eye contact? You know what I do nowadays, by the way, as I just look them in the eye, greet them, and say, no, thank you. (laughs) But my point is, you know what I'm talking about. When you have that person who's approaching you looking like they want to be your best friend, but you don't know them. And we've often even said, yeah, let's, let's go out and knock on doors. Not, I'm not, I'm not dissing people who've knocked on doors, but I want us to take an honest look at Jesus. Jesus said, "I want, I want there to be laborers that are like me, and here's what you do: you go and, and you, you go into a home where they welcome you, where they listen to you. And, and interesting, this is where it gets really interesting. Jesus said, "Go out and um, let me confront your inner agendas." This won't be about your training or your best ability to be prepared. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I, if I'm honest, don't like that approach. Secondly, uh, no money, no bag, no dried goods, no security, no shoes. Now, that's a pretty important thing to point out because a shoeless person in Jesus' day wasn't just because they didn't have any tivas not pointing to anybody. It wasn't because they didn't just have a really good shoe collection, it was a sign of that they meant something. So the point is if they didn't have shoes, they had no significance. A shoeless person in Jesus day was a nobody. Don't take shoes. Greet nobody on the way. This wasn't just, you know, look down and avoid somebody. What, what Jesus is, is saying is this isn't going to be about you calling in a favor through your network. We're all pretty good at that, aren't we? I'm sending you You're not going to have any connections. Jesus' strategy is vulnerability and dependence. And watch this. Submission to the people that you're going to. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to submit to my brother in Christ. Now, Jesus said, just go, and when they welcome you into that home, he didn't say it had to be those who are agreeing with your confession if they welcome you. There's his strategy. So here's what Jesus is revealing. Watch this. It's how he saw the world and how he inhabited it. Two things. If you get nothing out of this message, please hear this. I proclaim it in the name of Jesus that Jesus is convinced. May we be convinced. Jesus seems to be very convinced before His disciples ever get to this town or village that God's already there. Anybody hearing me in the room? That God is already there and He's already at work. So I'm not going somewhere that godless place, empty place where God isn't present. It might feel like that, but hear me. Jesus said, go. So my point is, I'm not there to make something happen. Ooh, relief. I like that. Number two, so first one is Jesus' strategy. He's convinced God is already at work. Number two, my role in this thing is simply discerning what God's already doing and joining him. So Jesus gives this, these proclamations, verses 5 to 6. I've already kind of alluded to some of them, but he said, when you go into a house, the person who welcomes you, stay at that house. How do I know? How do I discern Jesus' strategy in my life? Who's welcoming you? Take a look. The people who are giving you something to eat and to drink, whatever they provide. Oh, wait, they're actually giving to you, they're providing for you. The person who welcomes you, provides for you, who receives you, then you go proclaim the kingdom is here now see jesus again remember he seems convinced that god is already at work so his instructions to to his friends are all about discernment so how do we find discernment well number one to find discernment about a person of peace you first need to be at peace you first have to have encountered peace to find a person of peace we've got to be that person of peace So that's the first question. Have I surrendered to Jesus? Lord, you're enough. I was reading about this this last week from a book called The Anatomy of Peace. And I just, these are provoking thoughts. So I I just, just answering this question. Have I encountered peace? See, the struggle for peace Begins not between me and another person, but within myself. So let's consider what a heart of peace might look like. Ready? First of all, what if a heart of peace is about loving our neighbor as ourself? Mark 12, 31. It would mean that the other person, regardless of who they are, he or she, they count, they matter as much as I do. A heart of peace encounters everyone As a person, what if a heart of peace is about loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, turning the other cheek, giving our shirt to the one who has taken our coat, and doing to others what we would have them do to us? Oh, those are all words in red, aren't they? What if a heart of peace means being merciful and not judging, refusing to throw the first stone, or for that matter, the last stone or any in between? and taking care of the log in my own eye rather than the speck in the eye of another? What if a heart of peace offers forgiveness not seven times, but 70 times seven? Am I willing to do that? What if a heart of peace means feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visiting the sick or the in prison? Before we can ever do that, we must first regard the life the needs the desires of another as important as our own what if a heart of peace means choosing not to become oh my goodness listen to this not to become and act like a wolf when we stand in the midst of wolves did you catch that phrase it means we refuse to betray ourselves and we refuse, as one other person says, to horribleize others. All of these what-ifs about peace are not so much prescribing behaviors as describing a way of being. Peace doesn't begin with our behaviors toward each other, but with our way of being with each other, seeing each other as human beings created in the image and likeness of God. Our behavior towards one another will be determined by our way of being toward one another. It's a matter of the heart, your heart, my heart. Listen to this last sentence. This is why it's so important. If our hearts are at war, it makes no difference how polite and nice we are at each, with each other. Violence is present. So, beloved, have I encountered peace? Have I surrendered to it? And so Jesus seems to be convinced, again, this isn't about your strategy. It's about surrendering, surrendering to peace and proclaiming it. It's not a technique. We don't efficiency other people into the kingdom of God. We discern the God who is already at work. So, one, have I encountered? Number two, this is where this word submission comes into place. So, you see, Jesus already talks about it. Vulnerability, that's where you get to begin. And then you get to encounter, you know, to deal with this issue of internal peace. But, but submission, I'm sending out as lambs among wolves, carrying no purse, no bag, no shoes. It means to be a person of peace that I go in submission to the person that I'm trying to reach. Now, let me, let me just read something here. I, I read this from a friend of mine a few years back. This is a radical departure from most evangelism projects and trainings that we've experienced. My training was all about being prepared as the one who has something that others need. Let me tell you about what you need. Am I the only person who's ever heard this, right? We sort of present it that way. We come off that way. Jesus said, Go as the one who needs. Because you don't have food, money, shoes. And when they welcome you, allow them to welcome you. That's revolutionary. It undoes our going with power mindset, okay? So the kingdom of peace isn't that I'm powering up. It means that I'm actually operating in dependence and submission to the very person I'm trying to reach. It means I don't get to write them off. And that's what we see happening in the New Testament over and over again. Submission to others so that we can receive from them and they receive from us. It's a posture of humility, beloved. Um, And it's in that place that we can begin to proclaim and discern, you know, I, I think God might be at work in your life. The kingdom of God is present. And, and that's the next point, which is recognizing and responding to the grace that's present. And it's a whole new posture. Denise and I are in the midst of, a, uh, of this. By the way, we are literally in the midst of this in our lives. That we're, we're experiencing some transitioning that's occurring. You know, we've done camps now for, you know, Denise primarily. 17 years. We got to a point where we're like, oh, looks like something's shifting here. Okay, how do we respond to this? It feels insecure. I got some identity out of the fact that people have talked about how their lives got shaped and molded by this. Surely I have to keep this up. Wait a minute. I want to discern and recognize, God, what's your activity right now? And respond to it. And in confidence, believing that God is at work. So this is where our prophetic gift comes in. And our calling is noticing the grace of God in, in our life, but in the life of others, and helping them to say yes to it. So we have to learn to listen and discern, because God is telling a story. Oh, he does that. That's how, let That's the beauty of this whole thing of the gospel. It's this incredible story. He's telling a story of grace that is unique in your life and in mine, as well as in the life of the person that we're encountering. So this isn't a one-size-fits-all. I know it sells books. Let me give you three points to a successful life. But you know what I find? I find that God's telling a story, and he's inviting us to respond in it. Amen? All right. So being a person of peace means I'm recognized, I'm listening. So that means to recognize and respond to the grace of God means I have to listen. I need to see as Jesus would. I, let me point this out. Uh, Stephen Covey said most people listen with the intent not to understand, but they listen with the intent to reply. Ouch. I'm sure you've done that, not me. You know, like where I'm listening and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say next. Loving listening means listening to the story that's recognizing that person and not just trying to fix it. So Jesus sends out the 70 and he says, Go! I want you to discern something. And and you're going to receive from them and you're going to receive from their story and you're going to listen and you're going to honor them and you're going to be compassionately curious with them. It means that to be a person of peace, I proclaim this to those that are in my life. I see you and I hear you and you matter and I'm with you and it's safe. And I'm committed to keep it that way. Why, why is that? Are those just pretty words that we're saying to each other? Actually, that's the posture that God has with us. I see you. I hear you. I'm here for you. It's safe in my arms. Beloved, that's the kingdom of Peace. And you know, maybe you know. Sometimes I, I've have i have had some friends that have got stuck on these words words that you know. Jesus said, "Go proclaim the kingdom's here, heal the sick." You know, one of the biggest sicknesses that needs to be to be healed is the is the desperate aloneness and disconnection within the heart. Healing begins in the proclamation of a God who knows you, and cares. Beloved, to be persons of peace and announce the kingdom of God, we have to be those who are persons of peace and who've encountered it and received it. So um, I want you to think about this this coming week. I want to, be, I want to live in a kingdom of peace. It means we need to go out and do an outreach so we can get a whole bunch more bodies in the chairs. Well, no, that's not the message. The message is, are, are, are you recognizing those that God has put in your life. The Zacchaeuses that are hanging out of the tree saying, would you come have coffee with me? You know, Jesus stopped and said, oh, hey, I see you. (laughs) Why? Because Zacchaeus was convinced that he wouldn't. I see you. I want to hear you. Lord, would you give us grace as we hear this message to recognize, Lord, first, I, I want to just confess, that, Lord, I want to surrender to peace in a fresh way again today in my own life. All the angst and the striving, Lord, I thank you that you, you, you invite us into the place of peace and wholeness and then to proclaim it. And so, Lord, would Would you just help us see who the persons of peace are in our life today? That we would be a person of peace and that we would extend that peace. Or that maybe on this Independence Day weekend that we're reminded that it is not about the power levers of the empire around us that writes the basis of your kingdom, it's, it's you. Lord, that we would live from what's actually true, that the good news really is still good news, that you have overcome and you have reconciled everything to yourself. That stands as the greatest reality of our day. And so, Lord, even as we proclaim that that we would recognize, you're still at work. Right now. And you're inviting us to discern it. So, Lord, I want to respond to that in faith, and in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. I want to invite you guys, if you would, to respond with me, this morning. And uh, by just praying this closing prayer together with us and then i'm going to lead us to communion if you're on the call this morning good morning guys all of y'all who are on the call um I might, we'll, we'll invite you to have something there for yourself ready for communion that we're going to share in a moment if you came prepared to give we want to tell you we're grateful for that but let's stand if you would and let's pray this prayer uh together